Matthew chapter 11, verses 16 through 19, and then we will skip to verse 25 through 30. Hear these confusing, interesting words of Jesus. But to what will I compare this generation? It is like children sitting in the marketplaces and calling to one another, we played the flute for you and you did not dance. We played the ukuleles for you and you did not dance. We played the bells for you and you did not dance. We wailed and you did not mourn. For John came neither eating nor drinking, and they say he has a demon. The Son of Man came eating and drinking, and they say, look, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Yet wisdom is vindicated by her deeds. Come to me, Jesus says, all you that are weary and are carrying heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. This is the word of God for you, the people of God, and may the church say, thanks be to God. God. This might come in helpful. Well, I must confess to you that I do not dance. (laughs) I will not dance. Sam, I am. I do not dance. I don't want to learn. I don't want to practice. You, You are welcome to dance all you want. Dance, dance, dance the night away. Shake your groove thing, baby. Shake your groove thing. Yeah, yeah. Show them how you do it but not me. Zoom, a zoom, zoom, and a poom, poom. You can shake it, but keep me out of it. Now, now I've danced before, and notice the quotation marks. It's usually at weddings. If I have to, I'll do that little middle school sway with Marty as she leads. <laughs> at, at Nick and Liz's wedding reception the other night, uh, we left right before the dancing begun. We said it was, it was because, you know, it was getting late, and the kids needed... Uh, help getting to bed, but, but I don't dance. That's why we left. Now, maybe had the circumstances of my upbringing been different, I'd be a great dancer like, like Rihanna or those contestants on Dancing with the Stars. But we Stanleys, we don't dance. Uh, Marty's a transplant, so I guess she can. But growing up in Niceville, Florida, we were taught that nice boys and nice girls did not dance. Now, perhaps dancing wasn't full-on sin, but it was close, too close for comfort. It was sort of a gateway sin that could lead to much worse things, so you best stay away from the sway. (laughs) Now, in middle school, my youth minister taught us a fancy word for dancing that he claimed was scriptural, lasciviousness. Say that with me, lasciviousness. I think that's how it Pronounce it, is pronounced, it sounds sinful, doesn't it? And if I'm not mistaken, the word has made it at least to one or two of those infamous sin lists in the King James Version only. 
lasciviousness. You may think it's just harmless dancing, just innocent fun, but really, really, it's lasciviousness, and you know that can't be good. Now, don't hear me wrong this morning. I've repented of such things. I'm not saying it's wrong to dance. By all means, do a little dance with KC and the Sunshine Band if you must. I won't judge you. I just won't join you. I no longer believe that dancing resides somewhere near sin territory. But this repentance doesn't mean that I've been miraculously imparted with a spirit outpouring of rhythmic grace. I couldn't dance if I wanted to. So, when I read the text this morning, as Jesus talks about those who aren't dancing, that's me. That's, that's where I'm sitting. The ones who hear the flute being played, but they do not dance. Just let me sit in my seat, soak in the beautiful music while I attempt to tap my foot and watch you dance the night away. Now, perhaps I'd be a better disciple of John the Baptist than of Jesus. Jesus and John, they are forever linked Cousins, we are told, and John is the forerunner of Jesus, the one who prepares the way for the Messiah. And this John, he's the real deal, a serious, straight-laced, tough guy. He's what we call in the South a hell, fire, and brimstone preacher. And he lives in the wild. He's the original environmentalist living off the land with zero carbon footprint. He eats bugs. He drinks from trees. He makes his clothes from the organic fibers of wild beasts. And he's seriously off his rocker, this John. This guy stands in the desert and he yells at the sins of the world. And he's not afraid to name names, not John. And you better believe it, John does not dance. How could he? With all the injustice and evil in the world, this is not a time for dancing and partying and revelry. This is a time for repenting, John says. It's no wonder that they look at John and say, this guy's got a demon. He's nuts. But Jesus, oh, Jesus, he may be the cousin of John the Baptist, but he's nothing like his family. They kind of look alike, I imagine, but you can't tell because John never brushes his hair, he never cuts his beard, and probably never washes his face. They're both men of conviction, and yet they can't be any more different from one another. I'm not saying John is a bad guy. He's a righteous man, and our world needs Johns who can tell us what's right, who can speak truth to power. As Jesus says of John, truly I tell you, no one born of woman has arisen that is greater than John the Baptist. But if you expected the Messiah to look like John, think again. John believed what at least I was taught as a kid, that bad company corrupts good morals. Have you heard that? Bad company corrupts good morals. That is, you can, you can get the, the, the corruption by just being around people who are corrupt. And so John, John stays away from corruption. He may not indulge, yes, but he can't even be in the presence of such immorality or it may corrupt his soul. So John, John keeps distance from the revelry. He's the one on the sidewalk outside with the megaphone yelling out the sins of everyone at the party. But Jesus, well, where's Jesus? He's not outside. Jesus is inside. He's at the party. 
Jesus may be throwing the party. Compared to John, I can see how they called Jesus a glutton and a drunk, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Now, the name tax collector, that may not cause you the same revulsion that it did the people of Jesus' day, at least probably not for the same reasons. But feel free to substitute whatever outcast and ne'er-do-well of your choice. Jesus, friend of prostitutes. Jesus, friend of partiers. Jesus, friend of politicians. Jesus, friend of alcoholics. Friend of the poor. Friend of the rich. Friend of the immigrant. Friend of the straight. Friend of the gay. Jesus, friend of people who no one wants to be friends with. This is Jesus, and these are his friends. And with friends like these, it's not hard to see why he's accused of being a glutton and a drunk. Let's face it, this is not what we expected from Jesus. This is not what we expect from the Messiah who is to reveal to us God. This is conduct not becoming for the Son of God. And if you're, a little, if you're not a little confused at Jesus' behavior, you're not paying attention. Because, let's be honest, the last one we'd expect to see at the party is Jesus. What do you have to say in your defense? Jesus, are you a drunk? Are you a glutton? Is it really true that you eat and drink and dance with sinners and tax collectors? But Jesus gives no defense. He doesn't even acknowledge the accusations. All he offers is one short, confusing parable. Wisdom is vindicated by her deeds. Wisdom is vindicated by her deeds. Now, what does that mean? Because I always thought wisdom was vindicated by getting it right. That is, if you're truly wise, then you have all the right answers. You believe all the right things, and you're not afraid to tell people all the right answers. The folks accusing Jesus, they're the right ones. They're the wise ones because they know the way it's supposed to be. They know how the Messiah should act. They know how the righteous should respond. They know who you're supposed to hang out with and what you're supposed to do. But no, Jesus says, wisdom is not vindicated by doing things right. Wisdom's vindicated by her deeds. And perhaps this is why we miss Jesus. Because we show up looking for all the right answers, for the right doctrines, for the right beliefs, for perfection. And it never occurs to to us that Jesus is not found in any of these places. Some of us gave up a long time ago trying to find right answers because we're not sure there are any answers at all. And if there's room for doubt, then, well, there must be no room for Jesus. And so we don't believe. And we miss it. We miss Jesus because we're looking for the wrong thing. We're looking for doctrine and truth and answers and sufficient explanations. We're looking for a Jesus who fits into a box, who plays by our rules, who dances to our tune. A Jesus who believes everything we believe, who likes everyone we like and hates those we don't. We show up to church expecting to meet a Jesus who looks at us the same way we look at ourselves. A Jesus who's just as disappointed with what we've made of ourselves who, does, who knows that we're not good enough and there's nothing, nothing we could ever do to change that. And the flutes play and the ukuleles strum, but we don't dance. Why would we? What is there to dance about? 
And while we sit with our arms crossed, certain we have this Jesus all figured out, there he goes. Dining with gluttons and drunkards, hugging lepers, partying with tax collectors and prostitutes, and dancing with sinners. Wisdom is vindicated by her deeds, Jesus says. And these, these are the deeds of Jesus. He doesn't play by our rules. Jesus doesn't meet our expectations. Jesus doesn't dance to our tunes. Jesus came not to authenticate what we already believe to be true or even to argue us into unquestionable belief, but Jesus came to explode our expectations about God, our expectations about this world, and our expectations about ourselves. Jesus came to completely redefine everything, teach us a new song, and to show even folks like me with two left feet how to dance to this new gracious song. Well, my family and I, we spent two years living in the beautiful, tragic city of New Orleans. Finn, our youngest, was born there. And we learned quickly there are a lot of local traditions in an old city like New Orleans. And one of them is the tradition of second lining. Anyone know about second lining? Well, good. I I can teach you, and, and you won't know that I'm wrong. Second lining, it's like a parade, but not like the parade we had this past Friday. This is a spontaneous parade, and a parade where no spectators are allowed. For everyone who sees becomes a participant. It, it always starts with a brass band, and the band picks a tune, usually when the saints go marching in, plays the tune, and they start off playing it kind of slow. And they march slow. And then as they go further, they march a little quicker, and they play a little quicker. The band is called the first line. They're the music. They're the rhythm. They throw the party. And as they march and play, people from all over, from houses and from workplaces and suits and shorts, tourists and locals, everyone pours out into the street together. They're the second line. They gather behind the first line. And before long, everyone's on the street and they're dancing and they're singing. They forget their cares and worries, lay down whatever burdens they may have, and they join the party, dancing in the streets. And even for someone like me, does not dance, it's pretty hard to resist. I got to thinking that this second line, this is a This is about as good of a metaphor for the ministry of Jesus that I can think of. That Jesus is the main line. Jesus plays the flutes. Jesus dances with the children through the streets, through the marketplace, right through the walls that divide us, right through our prejudices and our fears, playing his tune of welcoming grace. Can can you hear Jesus playing? Can, Can you hear the rhythm? Can you hear the beat of grace. He's not singing about doctrine. He's not singing about perfection. He's, he's singing about grace. He's singing about welcome. He's singing about rest. Come to me, he sings. Come to me, all you who are weary, all you who are carrying heavy burdens. Come, come into the streets. Lay it down and I will give you rest. That's his song. Can you, can you hear him singing? And I wonder as you listen how many need that rest? How many need to just lay the burdens down and get up and dance? He's singing to you. He's singing to me, to everyone who's found themselves burdened with those burdens heaped on us by our churches, 
by our families, by ourselves, to you, to us, to all of us, Jesus sings, come, 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 and I will give you rest. And everywhere, everywhere, people are coming. They're falling in line from high rises and from houses in the city, in the suburbs, even the farms. Everybody's coming in, young and old, rich and poor, righteous and the sinners, people of all colors, people of all beliefs, people from around the world, the entire generation joining in the second line of God's grace. And it doesn't matter who you are. You're invited to the party. He's singing to you, come to me, all you, everyone who's weary. And that's all of us. Everyone who's weighed down with heavy burden, come, come, and you will find rest for your souls. This is Jesus' song. Our dance is the dance in response to God's grace. May we keep on dancing into the whole world joins in line with God's grace as we sing this song of welcome and grace, laying down our burdens and following after Jesus. Amen? Amen. Let us prepare to share in our offering, to share at the table of Christ as we lay everything aside and come to Jesus.